Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 79, recorded April 19th, 2012. So this is our 25th episode of our 90s series. Cool. Cool. Today we'll be doing Next Generation issue number 28, 29, and 30. We basically get two standalone issues and then we get the start of a uh, a multi-part series. So Cool. Should be good. Three yep. fairly good episodes, issues. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to have a nice little, nice uh, nice quick story, opens, middle, ending, you know, nice little self-contained thing. Right. Yeah, yeah it's I nice. Like it's, like, it's like a little treat. <laughs> right. And the, 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 at least this first one's not too bad. So uh, unless you have anything else, we'll just jump straight into it. Is that all right? Let's do it. All right, so issue number 28 came out February of 1992 and is entitled The Remembered One. And the writer was Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler is Peter Kraus. Inker is Pablo Marcos. Letterer is Bob Penaha. Colorist, Juliana Frieder. And Robert Greenberger as the editor. The cover has a big teaser at the top, and it says, Kalar's back. But how? She's dead. And then the majority of the cover is dominated by a couple of headshots, one of Kalar and one of Worf, of just their faces and shoulder. In the uh, lower left-hand corner, we see a picture of Guinan. And then in the lower right, where the barcode normally is, is a picture of Kalar kind of looking up at the larger picture of herself and Worf. Interesting cover. All right, so it starts off with Worf uh, bare-chested in his in his quarters. He's burning a couple of candles, and he's holding a golden dagger. He's muttering some Klingon that I'm not uh, Trekkie enough to translate, but it seems that Worf is praying. Uh, the last word of his prayer I can read, and it says Kalar, which is his wife that died uh, um, in an episode of Next Gen, in case you don't know who she is. So we flash to the bridge. Uh, Picard is sporting his cool suede jacket that uh, he got at some point. And uh, they are watching a pulsar on the view screen. Picard looks at the security station and asks, where's Worf? He normally stays on for an extra shift. Troy reminds him that this is the anniversary of Kalar's death and that Worf is probably in his quarters alone. Picard chides himself for not remembering this, and then he asks LaForge for the status of the ship. The reader is then informed that the Enterprise is in a close orbit of this pulsar, and they're taking readings. LaForge is uncomfortable about being so close, but he assures Picard that engineering is on its toes and will be able to handle any crisis that might pop up. In the ship's corridors, Data is walking with Akuna, giving the old scoundrel the five-cent tour of the ship. Akuna states that he needs to remind Crusher of their upcoming dinner date. Data reminds him that she never actually said yes. Akuna reminds Data that she never actually said no either. 
He then asks about Wesley and is shocked to learn that Wesley is off at the academy. And then he's actually flabbergasted when he puts two and two together and realizes that Dr. Crusher is Wesley Crusher's mom. He tells Data that that would be against the bro code to date a friend's relative. And that in his case, that usually meant a sister. But he assumes that the code would also mean that he can't date someone's mother. Uh, the bro code is a reference to How I Met Your Mother, in case, in case you don't watch that show. We flash to 10 forward, where Worf is sulking over a tall glass of prune juice. Guinan comes by and asks Worf if he wants to talk about anything. The Klingon eventually relents and confides to Guinan that he misses Kalar. He says that it is not the Klingon way to mourn someone who had died honorably in battle. She is about to share some of her ancient wisdom when she stops in mid-sentence and seems to be frozen in time. Worf tries to call for medical assistance, but then he notices that everyone in the Ten Forward Bar is also frozen except him. Worf leaves the bar, even though all the crew and all the things that might have been falling over at that time are frozen in midair. It, it is kind of odd that the doors and turbo lifts still work. So Worf makes his way to the bridge. Worf seems to be the only person on the ship unaffected by the freezing phenomenon. Worf then catches some movement at the corner of his eye and is shocked to see Kalar appear on the bridge. She says that she does not know where she is or how she got there. He thinks it's some sort of trick. She says that she's confused and needs him to help figure things out. He accuses her of being Q. She denies it and says that maybe he's the one that's crazy. Uh, this goes on for a little while, back and forth, and then eventually she tells him that she is indeed some sort of unknown species, and that she's made out of a pure life force, and that it's her who has frozen the crew. She says that her race has an incredibly short lifespan, and that they only live for about a day, but they have all the memories from their ancestors. She says that since her birth, she has wanted to experience life on a starship, and she sought out the Enterprise. Her mimic powers could not fool a whole ship of a thousand people, but she was able to. She would be able to freeze everybody and trick just one person. She chose to mimic Kalar after overhearing Worf's prayers. She still wants Worf to pretend that she is Kalar, and then creates a dinner of all his favorite food, and she wants him to join her for a meal together. At the table, Worf refuses to partake while his friends are frozen. She continues to try to seduce him when an alarm at the comm station chimes. The ship's orbit is decaying and, and is now hurtling towards the pulsar. Worf tries to get up and to change the course himself, but Kalar uses her powers to keep him at the table. Kalar tells Worf that the pulsar is actually what fuels her, so if they moved away from the star, uh, she would lose her powers. So they cannot change course. Uh, she is very willing to sacrifice the whole crew so that she could have this one moment with Worf. She tells Worf that if she breaks this moment she's created, then her whole life would be pointless. And she does not agree with Worf that the lives of a thousand people are more important than her own life goal. Worf gives her an impassioned speech about how the real Kalar and her sacrifice. 
after the speech, it seems to work, and the fake Kalar is moved and agrees to free the crew and to save themselves. As she is vanishing away, Worf passionately bites her on the neck. The crew awake, and they are shocked to find themselves so close to the Pulsar. But Ensign Roe is able to correct the course and save the ship. Picard notices that Worf is there on the bridge and states that he did not notice him coming in. Picard orders an investigation to find out how they got so close to the Pulsar so fast. Worf says that he can answer that one without any type of investigation. The end. Mm -hmm. So the explanation for the mystery visitor who could not be there turns out to be an unknown species with Q-like powers. Ah. Indeed. Indeed. But not as strong, apparently, as Q. And a very short lifespan. Very short lifespan. So you can freeze everybody on a ship. You can freeze time. But you don't have enough energy to project uh, some kind of a chameleon thing to fool more than one person? That's, right. That seems a little weird to me. But well, eh, Not only story. that, but she's able to construct stuff. So she's able yeah. to make food appear, make chairs and tables and everything appear. It, it does seem odd. Right. You know, what What really takes more power? Anyway, whatever. Power, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it was good seeing color. Even if yeah. they had a kind of fudge a story to explain how. <laughs> Why she's there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, now, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, they've messed up. I can't wait to, to blast them because they've messed up so bad. Because uh -huh. uh, I was thinking that um, Alexander was already on the ship at this point. And then I did some research, and I, I pulled up when Kalar died. She died in the episode Reunion, which came out in November of 1990. Uh-huh. And then Alexander returns back to the Enterprise in 1991, um, January of 1991, in an episode called New Ground, which was in the fifth season. So that episode, New Ground, came out January of 1992, and this comic book has a cover date of uh, 1992, so it probably came out right at the same time, which would have been right at a year after that November 1990 episode. So I was really impressed that, that this book came out almost exactly a year after she died on the TV show. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so I... I uh, I'm giving them kudos because I was I was uh, thinking that was going to be a good nitpick for the show, but instead it's just me tipping my hat to their uh... their continuity people. Exactly. That's good. Well, that is impressive that they do that because a lot of times, especially in the cold key, it's like yeah, just make up whatever. <laughs> It'll work. Well, we'll see that the next issue doesn't quite. It, it does have some problems with continuity where this one was was spot on. Cool. Well, not cool, but we'll see what your what your <laughs> points are in the next one. Yeah, in the next um, one. I definitely, even though, as I recall, Kalar was not a dyed-in-the-wool, um, take-no-prisoners type of Klingon, I did still think it was odd, uh, I think it was in the Turbo Lift, where she says to Worf when he's saying, you cannot be here, where she's saying, cut it out, Worf, you're scaring the hell out of me. That's like, ah. I thought well, that was a little. I think uh, they kind of played that up a little bit because she was half human, and so, you know, she was she was half human, and he was raised by humans, so that's why they were kind of a 
a nice Air. match. Yeah, because yeah, he he still. did he he saw the weak human thing as a weakness, and she did not. Right. Still, it didn't it didn't set well with me. I thought something was very odd with that kind of lines. Well, it, like I say, it, it does make more sense for her because she was not a uh, you know a warrior Klingon. Right. Well, and her wanting to just have a dinner with him and stuff like that—that's not something Kalar would really do. Oh, she wouldn't. Okay. I mean, did have she, dinner? I mean, well, did she seem the romantic type that would? Oh, I've made you all your. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm in my apron. You know, I greeted you exactly. at the door with your slippers. You know, that's exactly. not who she was. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> everything freezes on the ship. And she's dead, or the person she's trying to, to, to mimic is dead. And it's like, did you did you really think Warp <laughs> was going to think you're her? I mean, come on. Whatever. Yeah, what she should have done is freeze time, except for one guy that's, who has a wife that's somewhere else on the ship, and then show up. Honey, what's going on with everybody? They're frozen. Let's have dinner. <laughs> <laughs> And he just assumes that it's his wife that's really frozen off in engineering. Ah. That's what they should have. That's what she should have. That's what they should have done. It's just that we wanted to see some war faction. So come on. And the war faction was pretty typical monotone. Most of the issue, especially in the middle, as he was dealing with these situations, veins are popping on his head, and this guy's angry. Yeah. So uh, you know, of course, if anybody has the the anger mode, you know, cranked up a bit. During issues, it's or during episodes, right. uh, it's usually going to be Worf. But still, he was he was cranking at the uh, agitated level for quite a while in this issue. True, and he'll get that way here in a minute too. In a, in a later issue that we're going to do today, <laughs> uh, I think one of the greatest saving graces of that that character is uh, is they played up the humorous aspects of him. Because otherwise, he would have just been like you know a one song wonder. You know, you're talking about Worf, at, 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 at the character of Worf, character of Worf. Yes, hmm. I'm I, I'm glad they were able to uh, have him have him play uh, humorous type stuff, too, or play up the character for the character for the humorous possibilities. Yeah, sometimes I think they took it too far, though. <laughs> I was never a big fan of him making such a big deal out of prune juice being a warrior's drink and things like that. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean the yeah, it was funny, but took it a little bit far, but yeah. But there were a lot of other points when I thought it was pretty funny. They did some good. They, they did some funny things with him. As long as no, they're yeah, don't hit you I over mean, the head with it. That's why he's out of all the all the characters in Star Trek. He's been in the most most episodes and most movies as as any other character. I mean, because he was on Next Gen. He's in all the Next Gen movies. He was in Deep right. Space Nine. Hell, they liked him so much they brought his ancestor, also played by Michael Dorn, into the uh, Taz movies. So Right. Michael Dorn gets lots of work. That's good. Good for him. And then on Heroes, he was the president for one episode. And then yeah, and boy, did they again. waste him. I was so disappointed in that. I mean, it's like they didn't have him do anything. I mean, he All had right. almost no lines. Almost none. I was so disappointed. It was all set up. You know, that was yeah. the end of season one, uh, season one or season two. I can't remember. And you're like, oh, next season Michael Dorn's going to be in it. Yeah. Nope. Nope, he isn't. <laughs> Are he, hey, he's in the back of a limo. Live it up. And he says almost <laughs> nothing. Anyway. Uh, anyways, back to this issue. Um, 
Yeah, Did you think that that his comments about how you're not supposed to mourn the loss of a Klingon rang true? Because I, I feel like they they as a society put a lot of emphasis on dead ancestors and things like that. Yeah, but maybe it's the mourning part, showing the weakness of uh, of mourning that they don't do as much. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So you can only mourn them if they died dishonorably and you want to seek out revenge in their name. That, Other than that, you just have to rejoice in their, their life. I don't know. I don't know, but I think too much mourning is a sign of weakness. And yeah. Klingons aren't much into showing weakness. Yeah. What I want to know is, why is Okona st- still popping up? Because he's so darn popular. He is? Really? <laughs> That must be sarcasm because I, I, I never don't know. Understand. I'm assuming Michael Jan Friedman has something he wants to do with him and is just kind of keeping him around until that can happen. I guess so. But, uh, yeah. So we had that episode or that issue. I forgot how many issues ago it was that we did where he was there. Okay, fine. And I guess they had to get him back to his ship or something, whatever. Um, so I guess that's why he's still around. But it's like then, you know, I, I didn't think he was in an issue or two. And then now he pops up again. You know, for filler. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's like, what are you doing here? You know, well, um, yeah, I think that was the last time we did a Next Generation episode, and I told you then that he would stick around for the next five five or six episode issues. Oh, so it, it actually was an issue 27 that he was in? Uh, I can look. It'd have been. It just seems like it was longer ago. Well, there was that two-parter. That, yeah, I remember uh, that. I just seemed like it was longer ago. But we do alternate. And, right. And then we threw in some annuals and stuff. So it's been a while since we actually read it. So right. issue 25 and 26 was the two-parter where he uh, was on the planet with the weird Egyptian thing. Oh, no, no. That was 26 and 27. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that makes more sense. Okay. Right. So he pops up again because they haven't gotten him back to his ship. Well, could they get him back to his ship, please? Because I'm sick of his life preserver orange jacket on. You didn't like that? No. It it's so that he can me... look like Han Solo, like a lifeguard Han Solo. No, he, no, he looks like <laughs> Marty McFly in the in the first Back to the Future. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I I think I know. I don't like it. Anyway, so get rid of him again, okay? Thanks. Hey, and in my synopsis, uh, I didn't write it down, but then I said it, and I was wrong. So in my synopsis, I said. Worf's bare-chested. He yeah. is not. He's wearing a... He's got a cut-off shirt or something. Sleeveless he's wearing a, a weird, like, toga-looking shirt with all these weird metals on it. Yeah. Like gold leaf or gold scales or gold something. Actually, yeah. they, they kind of look like, like kind of like beetles with no legs or something. I was just going to say that, like little bugs. Yeah. A- and is he actually getting ready to slit his wrists? See, I don't know. I, I was kind of looks like that, that. Out too. Oh, maybe he is. Maybe because he's heating up the dagger and he's burning himself. Maybe. I don't know. Or oh, or getting some it. blood to go. Mm, I don't know. But it, it, never it, it looks like he's getting. It doesn't show it, but it looks like he's he's ready to uh, slit his left wrist. Mm. It does. Oh, well. But and it shows him like having the uh, the knife and the fire. Two panels before that, so right. So you think maybe that he would wants be... to sterilize it before he offs himself? 
<laughs> yeah. But uh, after the point that it makes it look like he's cutting himself, there's no blood on the dagger in the uh-huh. next panel, so maybe not. No, when I first read this, I thought that's where they were going with it, but then I didn't see it, so I just assumed that he was it was some sort of ritual. Right. There you go. I don't know. I don't speak Klingon. No, but he's got a lot of gold. I mean, the, the everything looks gold. His belt, right. his belt is gold. His 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 little metal cockroaches on his chest are gold, and uh, definitely that dagger is all gold. Yeah, even the hilt and everything. Yeah, it'd be pricey. I, yeah, uh, you know, as long as it isn't made out of gold pressed latinum, I guess uh, you can synthesize gold too. Oh well. Let's see. Yeah, in the end, I thought this was a weird little story. It just it just struck me as just a little weird little story. It's fine. It's entertaining seeing what happened with with Worf on this and everything, but and seeing how he's reacting. But I just thought it was a weird little story. I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah. I, I did think it was funny that, you know, there was an episode of The Next Generation where somebody died. Um, I think it was uh, the little boy's mom, uh, Ashter, Ash. Jeremy Ashter. Mm-hmm. His mom died, and then an alien took over the form of his mom to protect him. So we've already had an episode where somebody who died, another alien or something, is projecting themselves as that dead person. I mean, that alien was trying to protect Jeremy, where this alien was just trying to seduce Worf. Right. So their their motivations were a little different, but still, it's still a similar story. Yeah. Plus, a extremely powerful entity that can take different forms and do amazing things to incapacitate the ship, which is a little Q-like, but uh, not quite Q-like. You didn't think it was funny that even like a a drink that was falling just freezes in the air, but the turbo lift door is still open and <laughs> everything else still works. Yeah. I thought that was a little weird. But it's, you know, it's Q-like person. They can do anything except for projecting their fake image to more than one person. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So my last comment on this issue is Ensign Rowe is in this this issue. Mm -hmm. But she's wearing a gold tunic throughout the issue. Uh-huh. Where in the com or in the show she always wore red. Uh-huh. So did she did she have her famous earring? Uh I didn't see it. She's kinda small. But she, yeah, she has it. Cool. Good point about the uh the color. I hadn't noticed that. Alright, what else you got? I got nothing. I got nothing else to say about this one. Well let's jump into the next issue then. Excellent. With the next gen, in the next issue. So this one is issue number 29. It's titled Honorbound. Published date is March 1992. Creative team is writer Kevin Ryan, penciler Carlos Garzon, letters by Bob Penaha, colorist is Juliana Ferreter, editor is Robert Greenberger, of which there's going to be an interesting changing of the guard soon, which I won't say anything more about until later. The cover is a busy one, with six people and four ships. The head and shoulders of Picard, Riker, Wesley, and three new characters are set against a starfield backdrop, which mostly takes up the upper portion of the cover. 
The Enterprise D, along with two drawings of a new ship, are in the lower half of the cover. An explosion is shown in the middle that is probably a fourth ship that's exploding. Kind of looks a little bit like maybe part of a shuttlecraft. On the bottom is, are the words honor-bound, which are displayed in uh, yellow capital font. So we know honor is going to be important at this issue. On the Enterprise Bridge, Captain Picard asks if his number one is bored. They are transporting farm equipment, which is not the most exciting of assignments for the Federation's flagship, and Riker is displaying his boredom. Worf informs Picard a private priority message is coming in for him. Picard takes it in his office. A friend from Starfleet named Anson is on the line. He says he hoped for a ride and is ten minutes away from the Enterprise's position. He says... He retired from Starfleet and would explain all when he arrived. Picard agrees. Meanwhile, close by, a group of four warships are monitoring Anson's ship and that it's heading towards the Enterprise. The commander of the battle group orders to ready weapons. Anson will not escape them this time. In the Enterprise transporter room, Anson and his teenage son Bryant materialize on the transporter pad. Bryant is introduced to Picard. They make their way to the bridge where Bryant is introduced to Wesley Crusher, who takes him on a tour of the ship, uh, specifically the ship's computer facilities, supposedly. In an observation area, looking out on the stars, we find out that Anson's wife is deceased, and that at one time he and Picard vied for her attention. Anson won the lady's hand, and Anson says he was lucky to be with her as long as he was. Picard picks up on Anson's anxiety over something, but allows him to bring it up in his own time. Wesley and Bryant enter Wesley's quarters, where he explains to Bryant he can use the terminal in his room or any terminal on the ship to access the main computer. Bryant asks if there is anything to do on the ship, and after Wesley lists holodeck, the entertainment libraries, and the gym, Brian cuts to the chase and asks if there are any girls aboard. Wesley glows and realizes he's found a wingman. They end up in 10 forward enjoying a beverage with the 24th century equivalent of umbrellas in their glasses. Brian talks about how his father changed after his mother died. He was commander of a star base and gave it all up two weeks prior to take Bryant and see the galaxy. They had been jumping transport ships ever since. Wesley spoke of how his mom changed when his father died. She became very quiet for a long time. The conversation continues until the two lovely young ladies about their age enter the room. Later at the captain's table, Anson is dining with Picard and his command staff. When they find out Anson knows the captain from their youth, they ask him for a story. Anson mentions the incident where Picard took on three Nausicans and ended up getting an artificial heart out of the incident. Picard says that while everyone else was panicking, it was Anson who administered first aid and called the medical staff. Anson saved Picard's life. Meanwhile, Brian is exiting with 
the blonde slash brunette and leaves Wesley and his new red-headed beauty of a friend. They end up with a romantic kiss. So much more interesting than a computer experiment, I must say. At the captain's table, the old storytelling is interrupted with word from the bridge that a fleet of ships are on an intercept course with the Enterprise. Their shields are raised, weapons armed, and they are not responding to hails. Picard and the command staff head for the bridge. As they head out, Anson is left at the table with his head in his hands. On the bridge, Data informs Picard the six ships match Shardock vessel configuration. The Shardock are people known for their military heritage and dedication to personal honor. They also have developed the unusual ability to detect deception in others. In response to Picard's request for status of their weapons, Worf informs them they are fully charged but are just rudimentary particle beams. They won't be able to get past the Enterprise's shields. Suddenly, Anson says while emerging from the turbo lift that he has dealt with the Shardock before. Picard will have no choice but to destroy them. Picard thanks Anson for his advice, but violence may not be necessary. Picard orders the ship out of warp and Worf to open up a channel to their lead ship. Picard introduces himself and graciously asks what is on the commander's mind. The large blue man on the screen introduces himself as Lennet Tau, central commander of the Shardock Protection Forces. He goes on to say the Enterprise is carrying a fugitive from justice and demands that he be turned over to them immediately. Picard states that to his knowledge the Enterprise carries no criminals. Tau states that that may be so, but the criminal Bryant Peters must be turned over for immediate execution. He goes on to say that since criminals cannot come aboard one of their vessels, they want Picard to put the boy onto a shuttlecraft where the Sardak ships can blow it out of space. Picard has 15 minutes to comply. Commodore Peters joins Picard and the bridge staff in the conference room. Anson explains that while on a hunting trip with the Shardak Prime Minister, he accidentally shot and killed the PM's son. A stupid accident, but Shardak law calls for the death of Anson's son as the penalty. The Commodore and his son barely escaped Starbase 126 with their lives, and they have been on the run ever since. They go over multiple options. They could easily outrun the Shardak vessels, but their code of honor for the ship commanders would force them to take their own lives if they fail in their mission. Worf says there is no honor in destroying such an inferior foe. Picard says they have no choice but to try to reason with them. They attempt to reason with them, but the Shardak commander senses Picard is just playing for time and one of their ships opens fire. When the weapons prove useless against the Enterprise shields, the ship actually rams them. The ship is utterly destroyed and brings down the Enterprise's shields by 40%. The Shardak commander demonstrates that by making suicide runs, they can and will destroy the Enterprise. They give Picard one more hour to consider their situation, but no longer. 
Picard tells the bridge crew he wants a solution in one hour. No one else will die today. In his conference room, Anson tells Picard he is sorry he put the ship and crew in this situation, but he would do it again in an instant to save his son. Just then, Data enters and says he has a solution. He proposes they give the Shardock Bryant, but not in the way they want. Data says he cannot tell them anything further, or the Shardak ability to detect lies will give away the plan. They will have to trust Data. Data makes his preparations. Picard orders Worf to take Brian to the shuttle deck. Wesley objects and is dismissed from the bridge. Wesley heads to transporter room 7. A channel is opened to the Shardak commander, who says they have visually confirmed that Brian Peters is on board the shuttle leaving and leaving the Enterprise. Suddenly, Worf reports a person had beamed aboard the shuttle from Transporter Room 7. It's Wesley! The Shardak ship moves in and takes a shot at the tiny craft. Picard orders O'Brien to transport Wesley off the shuttle. No! Just as the shuttle explodes, O'Brien reports he has Wesley. The Shardak commander asks if the unexpected crewman will, was retrieved in time. Picard says yes. He is completely convinced that Bryant was on the shuttle when it exploded and wishes Picard a long and honorable life. The Shardak ships move off. As the Commodore and Bryant exit the turbo lift onto the bridge, Data explains he installed a holographic generator on the shuttle similar to the equipment on the holodeck. The visual representation was enough to fool sh the Shardak who do not possess sophisticated sensor technology. Later on that same observation deck they spoke last upon, Anson thanks Picard for saving his son. Given that Anson was instrumental in saving Picard's life after the Nausicaan incident, Picard calls it a debt paid. They have a manly embrace at arm's length. Later Picard is walking with Wesley in a hall. Picard is relieving him of duty for two weeks due to his act of insubordination. He says he could have brought him up on court-martial charges for what he did. Picard asks Wesley why he did it. Wesley says because Bryant is his friend. Picard compares Wesley's youthful mistake to the one he made by fighting those Nausicans when he did not have to. He has a duty to safeguard his life as well as to protect others. The end. And he says that if he, what would he do? He said he would do his duty. Oh, uh, yeah, right. There's yeah, I didn't, I didn't really care for that last part. No. No. No, I mean, it, it was, you know, I mean, Picard had to do something to Wesley. Sure. Um, but really, it, it just took too long. The, the back and forth in the in the dialogue was just more than was necessary, in my opinion. Uh, and I just didn't like that, because you know that he would have not have let that kid die. If, if I mean, he wouldn't have let his friend die. No. He still no. tricked the dude, so he, it's not like he didn't do something that he wasn't supposed to do anyways. I mean, that's exactly what Picard did in this issue. He's cheated. Well, he cheated, but at least nobody died. I mean, he was in a bad situation. Right. If they if they run off, all the no, or the Noskin commanders are going to kill themselves. If they stay, 
they could end up actually being destroyed themselves with those suicide runs. He was in a no-win situation. So the only way to get rid of them and keep them from killing themselves and also keep them from chasing uh, the Commodore and his son uh, was a trick. No, I get it. But then Wesley asks, yeah, but, you know, then he chides Wesley for doing something that he wasn't supposed to do. No, well, he, he directly disobeyed orders. He did disobey orders. He directly disobeyed orders. What Picard did is he used deceit, yes, but that's the only choice he had. No, I agree. And, and, and of course, Wesley thought he was really going to give him, give him Brandt or whatever the hell his name is. So I guess he thought he had to do something, too. Right. So, yeah, I, I kind of see what you're saying. But, right. Uh, yeah. but, 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 but in the end, he's got to trust his, his commanding officer. Right. And I don't think Picard, you know, Picard didn't know the specifics about how Data was going to save this little boy's life. But right. he still knew something was going on. So I would think that they would still be able to sense that some sort of deception is going on. Well, you know, quite frankly, this whole episode is, or this whole issue is almost as strained as the previous issue actually it's probably more strained um in a lot of ways you know they were having to make up all this stuff in the previous issue about Uh the characteristics of this unknown alien uh and what it could do and what it couldn't do and you're scratching your head going well that doesn't make a lot of sense but i guess it fits the story there's all kinds of garbage they threw in this one to make the story fit yeah i agree and to be honest didn't care for this issue too much uh, well, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't too crazy about the previous one or this one. But, yeah, this one was – yeah, I wasn't crazy about this one either. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about something that's that's very evident as soon as you start reading it, uh, yeah. the art style change. Oh, yes. I mean, look at the Enterprise, especially when it shows it like like on page 17. That's where it's it's the worst. Well, I think the artwork is a little bit more detailed at the beginning. This is just as a general comment. But... So you think they just focused on the beginning and then kind of let it go towards the end? <laughs> <laughs> uh, perhaps. I, I, I think the Shardak ships look fairly detailed. Mm, sure. Decent, but... Yeah. But anyways, did you go to page 17 yet? Yes, I'm at 17. So that top panel on page 17. Yeah, that shows the Enterprise being fired on? It, b- above that. Okay. That doesn't look like the Enterprise. Why doesn't it? I mean, it's not the best rendering It's all proportion seen, wrong. I mean, the the neck nacelle or the neck portion is huge. Okay, so, okay. Or do you, saying, you think that's the saying? engineering section? Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I'm not a big fan. It <laughs> just looks odd to me. <laughs> Some something doesn't look right. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's an acceptable drawing, but I just don't think. I mean, it, definitely, it makes it look like the like, like the saucer section is as wide as it is. I'll definitely say that. And I uh, think but, they they uh, glued the nacelles on backwards. Well, it's always red in front. Yeah, but on that top panel, it looks like the red part would be in the back. Ooh. Okay. Uh, you're right. I completely agree with that. Yeah, so so the orientation of the nacelles should be further farther forward on the pylons. I completely agree with that. Well, yeah, but if you just look at the the nacelles themselves, yeah, it looks like they're flipped, like the red parts in the back and the the red parts always in the front. I know, but in this picture, it looks like it's in the back. Well, am I on the same page as you? 
really don't. Let me do, let me triple check. I'm pretty sure I'm I'm on page 17. Yeah, the yeah. very top panel. Oh, the very top. Oh, okay. Because there's three pictures of the Enterprise. Yeah, I'm talking about oh, okay. the one that looks okay, better. Okay, okay, this is better. Okay, so I'm I'm at the very top. <laughs> well, not have looked fantastic, but okay, I okay, I see what you're saying. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it looks like the narrower part is in the back. Right. Uh, and it looks, even though that you can't really tell, you can't really see the red part. Right, you but, can't, but, but, but right can after the red the part is those, is those little ridges. Exactly. And those are definitely on the back of yep. that Enterprise, where they're normally supposed to be on the front of yep. the nacelles. Yep. And you are right, the, the engineering section looks elongated. Right. And then to my point, if you take a look at the second pick, uh, second drawing from the top, yeah, it is the middle bad. one, well, except for the fact that the nacelles are supposed to be f- more forward on the on the pylons that come up and connect to them. Right. Yeah, that one almost looks kind of Excelsior type. Uh, yeah, 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 right. Uh, and the same thing, actually, is the same thing for the picture at the top. I mean, it, it makes it, yeah, it makes it look like the nacelles are oriented way further back than it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Anyways, and then I thought Picard sometimes looked like Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Set of Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah. The the actually the artwork on the previous uh issue was far superior to this one in general. Right. I think so, it gets a little bit better in the next issue. Yeah, and actually this one the penciler was Carlos Garzon. Right. And he does the next issue, but I just think yeah. the next issue looks yeah. better. And the previous penciler was Peter Krause, so completely right. different on the first issue we've taken a look at. But yep. Yeah, I've definitely seen better artwork. But come on, Jimmy Carter. <laughs> I, I, I did. Jimmy Carter didn't come to mind, but yes. Look, look at the bottom panel on page 22. It shows Picard okay. in profile smiling, and it looks like Jimmy Carter smiling. 22. I'm heading to 22. Oh, where he's showing the teeth? Yeah. Oh, I'm Jimmy Carter. Hmm. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Anyways. That or else Sherman T. Potter. Oh, yeah, I could see a little bit of that. A little bit of, of Colonel Potter. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, the the huge elephant in the room is Wesley's there when in the previous issue it's established that he's off away at uh, Starfleet Academy. So this is obviously, this story happens before he goes off to the Academy. That that was I the uh, the nitpick yeah. that I was talking about last yeah. issue. Ah, ha, That is a huge continuity error. Yeah, so when, when, we, well, these... when I picked it up and I looked at the cover and saw him on the cover, I was like, oh, is this another one of those where they just slap him on the cover even though he's not going to be in the issue? Right. Just to try to sell it to the girls or something. And then I open up the book and he's in it. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. I, you know, it's a standalone. It's a standalone story. I mean, yeah, I, no, I, 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 I agree with you, but, you know. But I wish they would have made like a little note. This this story happens before the last issue, or, you know, before issue number yeah. 27. Something like that. Because, you know, if you weren't following the show and you were reading just the comics, you would probably get a little confused. Right. And there really is no no reason they they couldn't have swapped the order of these two, right? And, and I mean, comic books a lot of times will have flashback episodes or whatever. I would have been completely happy if there was a little blurb at the beginning, you know. Editors note: this issue happens 
people for you know issue number 26 something like that just just let me know where it falls in into the uh, chronological chronology yeah yeah that stuff anyways so is miles o'brien a redhead uh, sometimes he is in this one <laughs> but he at least looks like uh cole meany it, it it yeah the face the face isn't a bad job i mean it's not a not incredibly great but it's decent at least uh, I've, than... I've seen I've seen column column's face done much worse. Yeah, he doesn't look like a cone head like he has in the past. Right. And what, what was his upper lip was elongated or something? I don't know what I don't know what part of him. It was his forehead. Forehead. Ah, the forehead was terrible. Okay. There right. There you go. So how about those uh, future hairstyles of the of the young ladies? Oh, just t- what about the young ladies? At all. <laughs> they what? weren't the most attractive people I've seen on the Enterprise. No, but come on. I mean, how many how many girls have you seen Wesley's age? It's like, how often does that happen? Eh, that's happened a time or two. Well, I haven't seen them. But, I mean, they do have a lot of families on the ship. Right. At this, at this point. So you figure, okay, well, they got, they got kids, so they must have all ages. I just right. don't remember seeing many teenage girls. And certainly ones that have uh, half their hair is blonde and half their hair is brunette. Yeah, I thought that was a mistake when I first saw it, but it, I guess it was supposed to be intentional. I think it was intentional because she popped up a few t- in a few different panels that were on different pages, and uh, she had that interesting hairstyle. Right. I was just gonna say. I mean, it's like you know, people today have some pretty interesting hairstyles. So you know, eh, you know, maybe kudos that they <laughs> you know. Acknowledge the wackiness of youth, even right. in the future, in the sterile Federation. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. And then the other girl had like a Courtney Love type hairstyle. <laughs> Courtney Love? Oh boy, that's an interesting yeah. wa- reference. That's an old reference. Yeah, that's what she looked like to me. Yeah. Yeah. Except on the cover, it's obviously Wesley's girl is on the cover, but she's yeah. blonde. And then here in the book, she's uh, redhead, brown hair, whatever she's supposed to be. Right. But the face, I, I think the face looks pretty similar. Yeah, the face looks really similar, and the hairstyle is very similar. Right, just, it's just the color. The color. But, uh, boy, Wesley does put the moves on her, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And uh, I think she's kind of cute. I, I I can't stand the, the blonde brunette chick, though. I mean, she's just, <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 if if I was sitting across from her, I just couldn't take my eyes off the hair. It's like freak, freak. Anyway, sorry. Guess Anybody listening to this podcast who has multicolored hair, Ken is not talking about you. No, it's it's the way it's multicolored. No, it is very weird. I wish they would have shown her from the back just to see how much, how far back the black hair goes oh. before it turns blonde. Oh, that's what you were talking about. Oh, okay. What were you talking about? Uh, nothing. So, uh, yeah, well, you can kind of see. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it just isn't, it just isn't right. It's just not right. That's very odd. All right. I think that was my last comment. My only last comment is I think the, sh- the, the Shardak ships, mm-hmm. uh, even though they were a little on the weird side, they, they were my, fa- my favorite drawings in this issue, which isn't necessarily saying a lot, but. Uh, one thing I like about them uh, specifically is the fact that they've got that 
that that big uh, like like Dodge Hemi look, like uh, coming out of the backside of them, right? right. The, the back top of the ships had this big old like 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 Hemi cowl coming out, like Blades um, Blades 1968 uh, Dodge Charger RT. Yeah, I kind of like that on top. Yeah, and it looks like it. It almost looks like a, it could either be a, a an engine of some sort or some sort of gun Weapon. turret or something. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't look like if a you had that launcher. as an action a, a toy, your, your mind would go go places with it. You, it. you could it would. You could have some adventures with a, a model like that. <laughs> right. Right. Nah, it does look cool. What What do you think about his the ship that his friend showed up on? That, um, I wasn't too carried away with. Well, something I like about it is it at least was unique style. I mean, that does not look like uh, a typical Federation style at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's got the landing struts a little bit, and you know, maybe they, they look too small to be nacelles, but who knows? But at least it's a unique design. Maybe it's just that it was all colored gold. It just looks like somebody would spray paint it all gold, even the even the cockpit and on the. Yeah. Windows. If there is a cockpit, I, I, you, you have no idea how big that ship is. Right. And the other thing is, so, so, somebody else is flying that ship. I mean, it's not just the sun and him. Yeah, no, I think he was just bumming a ride off. Bumming the... a ride, right? Yeah. Although they don't go into details, really. I mean, nope. it, he does talk about the fact that they've been jumping transport to transport, but I mean, I guess it's possible he could have land. I mean, come, you know, finally gotten a ship of his own. Um, especially if he's doing evasive maneuvers to get away from, uh, right? You know, the other guys, and, and, and it could, then the ship could have fit inside the, the shuttle bay, depending on how big it is. But I think part of your point is you didn't know how big it was. Not really. No, I mean, it, it, it could be a small shuttle-like transporter. It could be a bigger one. Hard to tell. Exactly. Yeah, you don't know if he was just, you know, if it was a, you know, a big cruiser, yeah. or if it was just a little shuttle. It, it, there's no way of knowing. Wish they would have shown it docking with the Enterprise or something. Yeah. They didn't didn't bother showing any of that. Right. Anything else? uh, You know, the Robin Hood outfit the Commodore is wearing is a little weird, but uh, no, that's about it. (laughs) And, of course, Bryant does look like he's a member of the Sharks or Jets. It depends. Or maybe... He's trying to be Fonzie in the first episode of Happy Days before they let him wear a leather jacket. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, when he was wearing, like, the uh, fabric jacket. Fabric jacket. With the collar turned up. <laughs> Man, how much life would be different if that was the outfit he had to wear through the whole show? I think so. I think so. They I might have jumped the shark earlier. <laughs> Yeah. Now, Fonzie actually jumped. Oh, that's right. He did jump a shark. That's where they got the phrase from. That's where the that's phrase right. came from. Exactly. Jumping the shark. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Okay. Enough of that. This is a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Which has never jumped the shark. I think most of season three of the original series was jumping the shark, personally. <laughs> but Oh, Spock's, Spock's brain. brain. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, Possibly. They, you know, they, they probably instead of <laughs> instead of calling it jumping the shark, they should have called it Spock's brain. Yeah, the generic phrase. All right, you ready for the next one? I'm I'm ready. Let's do it.
All right, issue number 30. This has a cover date of April 1992. Uh, the uh, writer is Michael Jan Freeman again. Uh, Carlos Garzon is the penciler. Pablo Marcos is the anchor. Bob Panaha, letterer. Juliana Farider, colorist. And Robert Greenberger, editor. So, cover shows a rear shot of the Enterprise as it's, as it's flying towards a space station. And then the caption at the top says, What Lies Beyond the Rift. So the story starts off with the Enterprise en route to answer a distress call from a science station. Uh, when they arrive, they find that the station is being engulfed by a strange energy formation, similar to a wormhole. Picard orders the scientists beamed aboard, but O'Brien is unable to get a transporter lock on them. Picard is able to establish communications with the leader of the station and informs him of the trouble they're having with the transporter signals. He orders Riker to take an away team over and help with some homing devices so that O'Brien would be able to lock on to the scientists. Riker takes Crusher, Troy, and two gold-suited male security officers. Once aboard the station, they separate, and Riker heads to communications with some random woman in a lab coat that he calls Desora. On the bridge of the Enterprise, Geordi informs the captain that the station has started to enter the rift, and it's starting to vanish within it. Riker calls in and says that he has a batch of uh, researchers ready to be beamed aboard, and O'Brien starts the rescue. Troy soon calls in and says that her people are ready as well, and then he starts teleporting them away. As so some of the people at Riker's station, especially the leader, uh, is very upset and starting to get restless. And Riker tells them that there's over 100 people on the space station, and there's only so many transporter pads on the Enterprise, so it may be a while before they can get to everyone. The spatial distortion starts to accelerate. Geordi is concerned that they might be cutting it pretty close. Maybe too close. On the station, Riker is getting more pushback from the people wanting to be beamed out right away. O'Brien assures everyone that he is working as hard as possible even having the cargo transporters working overtime on it. Jordy then states that only 6% of the station is still in our universe. The rest has been pulled into this black hole, wormhole, rift thing. O'Brien is having trouble getting the last of the transporter locks. He finally gets some, and he, he beams some more people up. So on the station, we have... Basically, the equivalent of one group of that can be beamed up plus one person. So they can beam everybody but one person back to the ship. DeSora volunteers to take the second transport, but Riker says, The hell you do, Jenna, which, for me, further confuses me on who the hell she is. I guess she's Jenna DeSora. Anyways, Riker say, says that he will be the one that uh, stays back, and for everybody else to beam back to the Enterprise, O'Brien is able to get a lock, and they dematerialize. Riker is waiting for O'Brien to beam him back, and we have a few tense panels where O'Brien is trying everything he can. But ultimately, he's unable to beam Riker aboard, and the station is completely pulled into the rift. Everyone on the bridge is stunned at the loss of Riker, 
Picard says that he may not be actually dead and orders the helmsman to stay as close as possible to the rift. He then orders many of his senior staff to his conference room for a little powwow. On the station, Riker is indeed still alive. He is able to breathe and he's able to walk around, but everything is all smoky and wavy lines. But he is completely alone. He then hears a noise off into the distance. He starts walking towards it, and then he starts to think that maybe the noise is voices. He continues to investigate. Back on the Enterprise in 10 forward, Guinan and Akuna are discussing Riker. Akuna is saying how much he always liked him, and how he even saw a little bit of himself in Riker. Worf overhears them talking about Riker and attacks Akuna, saying that he can he should not be referring to Riker in the past tense. Guinan and Geordi are able to get Worf to put Akuna down, and Geordi and Worf uh, leave ten forward. Back at the station, Riker finds the source of the voices. He finds several ghostly figures. They all tell them that once they were solid like him, and then for whatever reason, they too fell into the rift. Some of them were on spaceships, space stations, even a whole planet. They tell Riker that over time, their solid bodies became ghostly, and now they're just like these little spirits of smoke. They tell Riker that he too will turn that way in, in some, some sort of amount of time. Riker says that he will find a way out. He has friends outside looking for him. And they mock him, say that, of course, they tried to get out too, and it's obviously useless. Um, even some of them say that they once had friends too. They all tried and failed when they first got trapped, so there's no reason to try. They tell him that he's trapped there forever, 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 to be continued. <laughs> forever? Uh, that's what they said. Yeah, I, you know, if I were if I were Riker, I'd be nervous right now. <laughs> when you have these little ghost people screaming forever, forever, forever around you. Not only that, I'm just putting myself in a Riker situation, being on the other side of some unknown rift of some other dimensionality or whatever. Who the heck knows? And they didn't have any clear way or of figuring out before he went over how to get into the rift or get back and forth or whatever. So I would be think I'd be very nervous thinking, you know, <laughs> they could be right. Yeah, I could never quite figure out is he actually is is the space station there too? So the space station is what he's walking around on and it's going yes. to eventually turn into smoke too? Yes. Or okay. I, so I, he, I, I I think he's still on the space station. That's what I thought too because it even right. shows it at one point all it's, smoky like. Right. It's just that it along it's interesting how he continues to have color and whatever, but everything around him, including the space station, becomes uh, really kind of wispy and kind of gray and washed out. Right. Very dotted odd. lines. Yes, dotted lines, dotted lines forever. Yeah, it's very <laughs> odd. You know something else that's odd? What's that? Is how the uniforms keep reverting to first season uniforms. Oh, wow. I didn't notice that. You know what? Okay, so, and I'm guilty of that to some degree, too, because I definitely noticed it when Riker was in the rift. Yeah. So, and I was like, but what the heck are they doing here? I mean, is this, is this like, 
supposedly part of the effect of being in this rift that you're <laughs> that you jump be between time and your outfit changes it's like what that doesn't make any sense right if you look at page 19 i think it has both styles or no it doesn't well it, it keeps swapping back yeah, it and keeps forth swapping. uh you know w w whether both exist on the same page or not i'm not sure but but definitely as you go to different pages it keeps on alternating between the, the two styles and then i noticed as i was looking around dad blasted picards does too no way way page 10 he reverts back to the uh, weak first season pajamas, jumper suits, whatever you want huh. to call it. Wow, I totally missed that. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, didn't the editor? And then Jordy too, I mean... Yeah, and O'Brien, too. They're all wearing them on that page. Right, but the thing that's kind of weird is O'Brien... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. They all are. And O'Brien has too many, pip num too many pips on his, uh, on his neck. Oh, at that time as being a chief, a chief, you don't have two pips. Okay. Well, I I don't think he was ever. I think he always had just a uh, a single pip. A single pip. Oh. Well, when he got on Deep Space Nine, he had more, didn't he? No, I don't think he really? did. No, because okay. I, I think they even said that he was never actually. I forgot. He yeah. somehow wasn't enlisted in Starfleet or something. It's he didn't been go through the time. academy or something. Yeah, I forget. But yeah, no, he he always had the the, the one pip or the the dark pip. I can't remember. Huh. Oh well. Wow, yeah, I... that's 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 a good catch, Ken. I totally missed it. Well, well, I didn't catch it all at first, but uh, yeah. Anyway, but you did catch weird. it. That's all that counts. Uh, I didn't I didn't catch it how how widespread it was at first, but yeah, weird. <laughs> that is weird because it's the same. Artists throughout the whole issue. Exactly. So why would it alternate? I mean, they're not reusing panels from other issues, right? No. So I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. It just seems like it, it, it's, it's a hard-to-explain faux pas. Yeah, and, and, I mean, everybody had to be in on it. The colorist had to color, color it, it that way. The, the editor had to see it. I mean... Right. Uh, was yeah. it an Easter egg? Just a little, little something for the attentive? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I doubt it. Yeah. Um, oh, good catch. Yeah. So were you as as confused as who Desora was as I am? Um, I didn't really pay enough attention. I mean, because yeah. they made her kind of seem like a like 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 a more recurring character. I mean, she seemed like she had some importance at the beginning. Yeah, but she but doesn't, she doesn't beam down with them. No, no, she she she's apparently part of the uh, the the space station staff, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Now, I don't now, know. now, whether he learned her name quickly and then just locked on to her as somebody that seemed like she was trying to be helpful and could help organize, so he locked on to her as somebody to help. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but what happened to the two security guys? I well, well it shows on beam down, and then he gives orders to. Um, Troy and Crusher, you see them later, yep. and you see him with Desora later, but you never see those two other guys they beam down with. Maybe they're stuck on the ship with him forever. <laughs> Maybe. 
Maybe. Yeah, I was just confused. I had to go back and re start the whole book over again, tell you the truth, because I was like, uh, did they mention her in a little sidebar that they were going to be working with uh, some DeSoro lady right. once they arrived? Nope. Yeah, I mean, she's got the white lab coat, kind of like uh, Crusher does. Right. But, uh, but she's wearing an orange jumpsuit. Yeah, her shirt, at least, it, it does not look like an Enterprise uh, Starfleet uniform. Nope. Yeah. All right, well, I, I was really confused, and then, then he called her Jenna later, so right. I guess her name is Jenna DeSoro. That's right. The hell you do, Jenna? Anyways, I was I was confused. Yeah, well, I was a little bit too, but I didn't dwell on it, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, here's another situation. A little, a little force, but not as much as the previous ones, I think. Where uh, Riker has to be the hero and stay behind, be the last man off, and then go into this very Kirkian, Tholian web, uh, situation, where uh, he's stuck in some kind of other dimension or something, and the crew's got to work to get him back. Yeah, I just thought it was you reusing some ideas. Yep, I agree. Yeah, but that's fine. Uh, definitely that manager of the station, uh, in, in the blue, in the blue suit that was getting, giving Riker a hard time and blaming right. him for everything. What a jerk. <laughs> he was a jerk. What a jerk. And of course, I, I can only, I can only imagine that he's kind of a jerk like that because he, him blaming Riker un, unjustly, uh, also I must say, um, might, might have been part of the motivation why, uh, why Riker stayed to be the last man. Although I think he would have done it no matter what. Right. But, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I, it almost makes it sound like he caved in to this guy's pressure. Uh, a little bit. But I think he would have done what he did no matter what. But still, I, I think he would have. But Yeah. It, this just gave him a little bit more motivation. Instead of Riker being, you know, 100% just two-dimensional, I'm hero guy. Of course I'll stay behind. A little bit more of the motivation thing. Yeah, I, I kind of wish that he would have left that other guy and just gone back <laughs> to the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go, fatty. You, you keep complaining in the other dimension, okay? Right, yeah. I Thanks for being such a jerk. That's right. Right. I think the artwork overall is good in this, especially Riker. Sometimes he 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 really looks like Jonathan Frakes. It is pretty good. Although we gotta gotta take off some points for the uniforms. <laughs> true, true. Uh-huh. I, I just meant facial. Yeah, right. Yeah, better than last issue. Oh, better than last were, issue. They so they, did they give them more time or something? I don't know. I don't know. But what's funny is that here, pretty soon, we're going to be getting. Uh, it's going to go bi bi weekly instead of monthly. So oh. they'll start having two issues a month. Huh. So I'm I'm curious to see if the quality of the art goes down when they have to produce more books a month. Right. Well, are they going to have two different teams? I, I don't know. I, I never when I read these through the first time back when they were coming out as a kid, I yeah. never cared about who who drew what. Right. So uh, doing this and and having to actually pay attention to who's doing what, uh, I'm curious to see how they do right. that. Yeah. Okay, we'll find out. We'll find out. Pretty soon. Yep. And there's a Kona again. What the hell's he doing there? With his um, life preserver orange jacket. I don't like it. <laughs> did you see the one panel where he did his Joker impression? Where his hair turned green? 
Oh, uh, I think I noticed that when I was reading through, but I, I couldn't tell you where that happened exactly. Yeah, on page 18, after Worf pushes him down, <laughs> he turns, his hair turns green, and then and he, he starts joking manically. <laughs> and I think his ponytail came back, because in the show, he had a big ponytail. And then the issues that we did of him... Last time we did in the Next Generation, he didn't have a ponytail, but in this one, he definitely has his ponytail back. So I guess he he grew it out. I guess so. Since last month. <laughs> you know, he had a choice: soul patch or ponytail. I'm going for the ponytail. I don't know. He should have done the soul patch. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I see the Joker thing. It's kind of a yellow green. They could have picked a better color. If you're gonna screw up on the hair color, pick a better one than that. So is it some? Is it somehow the same kind of sort of ink as the the command shirts? No, it's a different color. I mean, it, it's a, on my copy. It's definitely a greenish color, where the suits, the shirts are a goldish well, color, right. kind of a goldish green. Right. Although predominantly gold, I, I agree with that. There's just a little bit of green spin to them. But Great. definitely, uh, his yeah, Kona's hair is not good. Okay. That was my last comment. Yeah. Uh, my last comment was just how, you know, Riker, I mentioned a little bit before, Riker's in this situation. He's isolated. He doesn't know what's going to happen. There's no clear way for him to get back to his own dimension. Uh, he's isolated, except for these ghostly things, manifestations walking around. All he's got is his wits and courage to get him out of the situation, which reminded me a little bit of the situation Thomas Riker was in when he was stuck on that... Uh, that station for how long? Eight years? Five years? How long was that? Four years? Five years? I don't know. Right. So yeah, you that think... episode where the reflection created two of them, whatever. Yeah, I like that episode. I, I thought it was it was a good episode. It gave uh, Frakes a chance to do some acting. Yeah. Hmm. Do two different versions of himself, only separated by the amount of experiences they had in the intervening years. Right, and their love for Deanna. Ah, oh, yes. Well, yes. Right. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Yep. Good point. And he survived that time, stranded on that, that, that installation on that planet, and he's stranded here, and he'll do a fine job of getting back. Let's hope so. Well, you know he will, so it's just a question of how. What else? Anything? Nothing else. I got nothing. All right. We now do the expanded universe stuff. This was the season of season five. Okay, so, so Donovan, because there's so many uh, in this time period, uh, many, many episodes, how about if we just uh, talk about the ones we like the best? That works for me. Excellent. So um, I see that Cause and Effect is one of the episodes. It was played on March 21st, 1992. Remember that one? We talk about that one quite a bit because that has uh, Frasier in it. Ah, yes, with a, with a beard, as I recall. Yeah, playing Captain Morgan. Oh, you remember the name. That's good. And his ship was the Bozeman. Wow, that's good. Good memory. Yeah. Uh, so that was the time loop one, and uh, I liked that one. That was good. Yeah, the, the data getting the subliminal message of three throughout the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then uh, also the the first one that came out on February 3rd, was called Violations, and that oh. was where the aliens could 
make you remember things uh, very vividly, like almost re-experience uh, one of your memories. And uh, they're not supposed to do it on people unless they get permission, and yet one of them ends up doing it to uh, Troy, kind of violating her, uh, her, her mind, if you will. But So you're saying this is a mental rape? I believe that was where they were going with it. Which is funny, and the only reason I bring it up, it's not one of my favorite episodes, but the reason why I bring it up is because they revisit that same idea in Star Trek Nemesis, where Shizan is, is doing the same thing to Troy. Oh, right. Well... Except in that one, it was a little more more rapish in that he was projecting himself as having his way with her, but it's still the kind of the same same premise, I think. Right. A mental rape versus a physical rape. Right. Well, and I guess there was a there was an Enterprise episode that that dealt with that too, the mind meld episode. Oh, remember that one? Yeah. Right. Let's see what else we got. Cause and effect. Ah, the first duty. The first duty is the one where Wesley's at Starfleet Academy and you know gets in trouble with his uh, flight team with uh, Tom Paris there. Oh, it's not oh, Tom, yeah. Tom Paris. Tom so, Paris. so that is where uh, where Wesley. If I remember correctly, that is where Wesley began his trip from Mr. Squeaky Clean down the path of bad boydom. Agreed. So, you always thought, ooh, Wesley, he's super smart, he's an ensign, he's flying the ship, so, you know, he's going to be a captain someday. Well, that isn't what happened, and I think this is the beginning of it. It's odd that, you know, they both, Picard and Kirk... If you just listen to the their their backstories, right? You know, Picard was really kind of wild in his youth, and then now he's you know so by the book. And then they talk about how Kirk was so by the book as a kid, and you know a, a, a stack of books on legs, whatever he calls them. Right. And then when he's in command, he's kind of looser with uh, maybe some of the prime directive stuff. Uh, you know more. More action than than he was as a kid, right? So I think I think that's what they were trying to do with Wesley. As a kid, he was squeaky clean, and then he has this. He's kind of turning it, flipping to uh, more of a rebellious type character. I don't know. It, it, yeah. I agree. It was weird. Right. It definitely wasn't what I was expecting for him. But you know, that's kind of good. I mean, you know, why do everything predictable? Makes things right. up a little bit. Right. And make everybody who you know all the all the older fans hated Wesley, so <laughs> they were happy to see him knock down a peg. And all the kids who loved Wesley uh, got mad at Star Trek for ruining one of their favorite characters. Oh, well, because okay. I was the same age as Wesley, so I remember people not being happy the way they they changed him. Oh, but then well. some of them could relate to him more now that he was tarnished a little bit. Right. So was that 100% the producer's ideas, or did Will Wheaton decide he wanted to try some other acting gigs? Oh, I think he wanted to go on and do something else. Yeah, right. And, of course, he's done so many things since. Big Whoa. bang. <laughs> That's what he's doing now. He has a uh, uh, a webcast uh, TV show right? that and has he's... to do with uh, tabletop gaming. Yep, and he's a recurring character on Family Guy. So oh, he, does, he? he does he does stuff. Well. 
Yeah, he yeah he's the guy that runs the uh, you know, the Quickie Mart or whatever they call it in that in that show, uh, the Seven Eleven that Chris was working at. I haven't watched it in a while. Oh, the guy that kind of sounds like a stoner. <laughs> he also was the voice of Aqualad in the Teen Titans uh, TV show. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's great. That is great. Uh, there was also the episode Ethics. Which uh, came out, um, which was the one where Worf gets paralyzed and they have to do the experimental surgery to uh, try to fix his spine. Right. And then that that's also the one where I guess they were kind of planting the seeds of a Troy-Worf relationship because he asks her to raise Alexander. Ah, right. If it if uh, if he does not make it through the right. surgery, yeah. So uh, I uh, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, I I was okay with that one. You know, I thought it was interesting seeing Morris back. You know, all bumpy. And then the three D um, renderings of his spine. You know. And we learn about all the redundant organs that Klingons have. Oh, yeah. I guess I don't remember that detail, but yeah, yep. <laughs> I guess. All right. Uh, none of the rest of them were really jumping out at me. How about you? Not, not really. And we've we've spent some time talking about those. So, yeah. So, there's other good episodes. So, just because we didn't mention it doesn't mean that it wasn't good. Right. Just that we're running out of time. Exactly. And those are the ones that caught our eyes first. So we'll be back next week for episode 80, where we'll do the original series uh, 31 through 33. Yes. Back with Kirk and the boys. So, yeah. So until then, we will be uh, reading some comic books, and we'll talk to you later. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Later, everybody. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes, or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.